Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Grandstand cricket. With a splendid innings for New Zealand. But they are all out for 372. Another test is done and dusted. Now it's time for some post-match parlay with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. The Final Word with ABC Grandstand. Welcome to The Final Word. Adam Collins here with Jeff Lemon. We're in Melbourne this week after the first limited overs international of the Chapel Hadley Trophy in Sydney last night where Australia won by 68 runs and Steve Smith put on a clinic. Jeff, it's one of the all-time great performances. 164 with the bat, the highest score ever made at the Sydney Cricket Ground and pulled off an absolutely stunning catch and pretty much did as he pleased as Australia waltzed away to a 1-0 series lead. Yeah, he's kind of such a good test player these days that you almost forget that he's become as good a player in one-day international cricket you know since that that point a couple of seasons ago when he made it back into the side after some uh, some one days in the emirates against pakistan and then he's just been scoring hundreds at will ever since you know all through the 2015 world cup and I mean, to, to put that through at a tremendous strike rate as well is uh, yet another staring performance. Yeah, I should add before we go on today, we're going to talk about this limited overs international. We're going to talk about Glenn Maxwell, of course, and then we're going to do an extensive preview of the Women's Big Bash League and reviewing what's happened with the Southern Stars so far uh, in their international season and also what's going on in the 50-over comp in the Women's National Cricket League, which concluded this Saturday as well. Just in case you thought we were going to spend half an hour or 45 minutes talking just about one limited overs game, that's... That's, that's not going to be the case. But yesterday was a, a pretty good hit out for Australia. Their first win uh, in, in the pyjamas after losing 5-0 in South Africa. And it wasn't a particularly impressive start. Aaron Finch bowled uh, in, the, in the first boy face, actually first over of the innings. David Warner out not long after. Um, Lockie Ferguson on debut, as was noted on Twitter during the week. It sounds like an AFL under-18s recruit, Lockie Ferguson, like a, <laughs> a halfback flanker uh, playing in the TAC Cup. But uh, no, he's a fast bowler, a very fast bowler, and he picked up David Warner chopping on. Uh, and, and and after um, Mitchell Marsh got run out in the worst possible way with, with the old fingers on the back of the stumps, um, uh, the hand down from Jimmy Neesham, the hard straight drive back from George Bailey, knocked onto his stumps, uh, falling short of his ground for just one. That left Australia 4 for 92. And, and Travis Head coming in, a relatively inexperienced young player, uh, batting there with Steve Smith, who was just sort of accumulating some runs in the middle stages. The, the pressure was on there, and, and the two of them put together a fine stand and really defined the innings. Yeah, I think Travis Head's been proving his worth. You know, came in... In Sri Lanka, wasn't entirely at home his first couple of matches, but uh, but he really you know started to 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 show some persistence and kind of get a bit of a, a grind on in that series because it was tough batting in the middle and and it kind of gave him license to spend time in the middle in Sri Lanka, not sort of really need to over attack. And then he played fairly well in South Africa as well on that tour where Australia got pumped. Yeah, he didn't get to 50 at all in Sri Lanka, but I think most people, and I was covering that series for the ABC, came away from that thinking that. 
Um, he was a, certainly a player of some mm. substance. Australia lost every toss of that series, and, and that meant they were batting after dark with the ball spinning more on dust bowls. And he just showed really good composure to play some important innings in the middle overs where he could, you know, knock out 30 or 40 with a more senior player. And yeah, it was always, always playing that supporting kind of role right. of, of, you know, coming in and just being willing not to let ego get the better of him, play the supporting hand, even though he is such a destructive player, as we've seen in the Big Bash, mm. seen him absolutely take apart some attacks. But, um, you know, to have that, that sort of presence in mind to be prepared to take the back seat is I think a really important thing. Yeah, we talked a lot in the World Cup uh, a couple of years ago when we, when, we were, when we were podcasting, Jeff, about the need to have a player in those middle overs for the Australian side to you know, play the old-fashioned Michael Bevan role. There's still room for that. I mean, there's these power plays and teams do uh, score prolifically in the last 10 overs. Regularly you see well, considerably more than 100 runs scored in the last 10, but uh, you still need players in between the power players, if you like, to to find the gaps and to turn ones into twos. And Head seems to have that sort of game. And and like as you pointed out as well, he isn't just a, a one trick pony in terms of hitting it over cow corner. He has got some shots and uh, and has got some composure at the crease. So I think that's probably his comparative advantage. And it feels to me that that's where at the moment uh, he's keeping himself in the side ahead of someone maybe like Glenn Maxwell, who who didn't um, fare so well in the West Indies when he was meant to play the same role, a, a middle a middle overs role rather than necessarily in the final ten. Mm. Yeah, I mean, perhaps, although we saw Glenn Maxwell have such success opening in that T20 True. series in, in Sri Lanka, you know, there's a bit of food for thought about uh, whether he should be playing higher up the order there. But Well, and know, he said he wants to as well. I mean, I, I mean, it may not translate to the 50-over version of the game, and he didn't do so well in the Matador Cup where he was batting number three for Victoria either. So mm. his omission from this one-day side is complicated, and we'll come to that, but... Um, but uh, but I think that uh, you know him going up the order is something he's expressed an interest in doing, and maybe that's the way to get around this. Uh, the idea of he either has to bat in the final ten or the first ten, giving him a chance to face the new ball and and try. And, you know, effectively, when you hit the ball as hard as Maxwell, your 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 miscue still go most of the way to the boundary anyway. Yeah, especially if it's new, you might be more likely to to sort of clear the infield with with some of those outside half of the bat slices and that kind of thing. But um, you know, they put on a pretty prodigious score and, you know, New Zealand were always going to be struggling chasing that. New Zealand have... Well, there's been a lot of 300 kind of run chases in Chapel Hadley's over the years, but um, they weren't really able to get close to it. Guptill got his uh, first century against Australia in any format, I think. Yeah, he, he did. And I think it was the last five or six overs. Australia made 50 in, in 19 balls at one stage towards the end there. Matthew Wade hit three consecutive sixes, 38 off 22 balls. And uh, that, that partnership between Head and, and Smith, which totaled 127, laying the, the foundation for that madness at the end. And as you say, Jeff, I don't think New Zealand were really ever in it. They were briefly uh, when... Um, Jimmy Nation was, was was accumulating well at one end and, and Gupta was hitting sixes for laughs at the other. Pat Cummins had a fairly ropey return to international cricket early mm. on. Three of his first four overs had balls dispatched to the boundary. First ball of the over, so he was, I guess, in the, uh, behind in the counts. He used yeah. some baseball nomenclature and, and, he, and he struggled to, to find his rhythm early on. And, that's and always going to happen. You remember uh, James Pattinson coming back in in England last year South as Hampton, yeah. and he looked absolutely terrible. And, you know, a few months later in that test match in New Zealand, he was unplayable. So uh, that thing of just easing back in is always going to be tricky. And Cummins, he'd be so anxious all the time about, you know, ripping another muscle or breaking another bone. I felt he was better for the run. Certainly towards the end, he had the confidence to bowl some slower balls, which netted him those two late wickets. And that that felt like he he just... uh, 
he just um, you know felt more com- comfortable in his own skin towards the end of the spell, especially when the result was a foregone conclusion. That was essentially the case after Nisham holed out, which was some pretty poor batting, and Steve Smith took an absolute worldly at gully. Uh, to take uh, BJ Watling. Uh, that was crunch. Mitchell Marsh was the bowler. It was absolutely hammered off the back foot. It would have raced away to the boundary a couple of bounces at, at most. And Smith diving at full stretch left hand. Uh, there was comparisons made to John Dyson on that venue, on that ground in the early oh. 80s. And, and you can see why it was, it was sort of capped off the perfect day for the captain. Well, yeah, John Dyson invented a, a great vacuum cleaner after that <laughs> as well. Really appreciated his work with the double cyclone and you know, some of the portables that they've... Uh, They've got around, strap them on your back, clean the place. Oh, we can't do this. We're on the ABC. <laughs> I, I, used to, I used to flog vacuum cleaners in the phone when I was 17 years old as well. So I, I remember well getting asked about whether the Dyson were as good as the Electrolux. I was trying to... The reverse to... cyclone <laughs> versus the uh, three times hurricane or whatever sort of weather systems they had inside those tanks. Yeah, the, the defining characteristic of a, of a vacuum cleaner, as far as I'm concerned, can it pick up a bowling ball? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, all those times you're walking around the house picking up bowling balls, you don't want to bend down to do it. It's the most convenient way. Sure enough. So three for one, two, six when Nisham hold out. It was a fairly uh, obvious conclusion after that. Australia won by 68 runs. So a couple to Cummins, a couple to Zampa, who I thought bowled really well. Took a bit of tap when Guptill uh, found his range with him, but he was the one man that made um, made Guptill look uh, under some pressure early on. He mm-hmm. continues to spin the ball so hard. He grunts like Monica Sellis on the double-handed backhand back in the early 90s when he when he lets that ball go. And he's got the, the shoestring in his hair now as well. It's a bit of a throwback to an early oh, yeah. era. Yep. I quite like that. I'm, 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 I'm fond of the whole Adam Zampa package. And even, even when he um, denied um, himself a review at one stage, uh, he, he said to the captain, don't review that, don't review that. They reviewed it anyway, but I like that he's sort of you know, kind of modest as well. I think that he's a sort of player who, right. um, who, who can, he, he'll be a mainstay of this one day side, but I don't think it'll be long before he ends a baggy green either. He just feels like the sort of guy that's going to play a lot of international cricket. I guess it shows some level-headedness. You know, most bowlers are always saying, yeah, it was out, but, you know, to, to be able to play the percentages and say, well, there's, you know, it's most likely not going to be overturned. That's, that's that kind of calm that he's got. And uh, I mean, he's such a good bowler when players are trying to slog him. You know, he's, he's very hard to absolutely smash away. And, and he took lots of wickets in, in his first couple of uh, ODR games in New Zealand, he took wickets in the World T20, always at that point where someone was trying to put him over the mid-wicket boundary. Um, and then, you know, his pace, his length is a bit hard to read. He often drags it down a bit short and players think they can smack the, the half-tracker away, but it doesn't end up being one or it hurries on to them a bit. He's just deceptive with the way the ball comes out of the hand. I'm not sure if that'll translate to test cricket um, because players won't need to attack him so much. They can just milk him. Um, but, you know, he's been, he's been talked up for a role, but I'm not sure how well it would go in white clothes. Yeah, I do like his variation. I do like the way he can skid it onto leg stump to the right hander. He isn't afraid to uh, to bowl at the back of the hand, and I think that's a good quality as well. He did pick up Guptill from a ball that should have gone over the fence, actually. It was a, a half-tracker, and Guptill picked out uh, the man, Glenn Maxwell, at mid-wicket, and uh, we're going to have a conversation about Glenn Maxwell in just a moment, but uh, well, the, the series is now one nil up, as we said, and it moves on to uh, Monica in Canberra on Tuesday, and then concludes at the MCG on Friday. Now, Jeff, uh, we, we've we've both had a, a fairly decent frolic on Twitter about this uh, um, when when this fine was handed to Glenn Maxwell on Saturday by the Australian mm-hmm. Leadership Group. It was handed down by the team, not the administration, yep. uh, and 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 it, and it spilled out of some comments made by the Big Show on Friday at the formal press conference he did for the Australian side. He was the man they put up, uh, and he was asked a, a, a few fairly straightforward questions by the by the gathered media pack. Um, why was he batting uh, lower in the order and how did he feel about that? And he answered 
in a forthright way, uh, stridently said that he was batting lower than Matthew Wade. He wasn't happy about that. He felt that a wicketkeeper um, should be batting below a specialist batsman and um, Wade being captain uh, makes the decisions on the batting lineup. And, and he felt aggrieved by that and, and that it may have uh, impeded his opportunity to press for test selection in what was essentially a couple of weeks ago, a, a shop window for the top six when they were trying to win their spots back after the debacle at Hobart in the second test match against South Africa. So that's, that's the context of what occurred. But, Jeff, it, it felt to me, and I'm sure uh, I know you, you agree with the, the tenor of this, that it was a, a completely out-of-proportion response. And, and, and the discourse around it just seems to um, be that they want players to not answer direct questions when they're asked. It, it mm-hmm. seemed odd to me. Yeah, well, absolutely. Or, or they want them to lie. You know, They want them to fudge their answers and, and pretend that things are all hunky-dory in, in the dressing room if there are problems. If you're asked a question, um, why shouldn't you be able to answer it? How can the Australian players be so thin-skinned that they can't stand the most modest bit of criticism from their own team? It's patently obvious to anyone who's kept an eye on domestic cricket this year. It is odd that Matthew Wade's batted up the order. Um, it, his motivations for doing that aren't clear. He hasn't necessarily been asked about it as far as I'm aware. But uh, one of the conclusions you could draw is that he was trying to impress with the bat so that he could challenge for national selection again. And in doing so, was he putting his own interests ahead of uh, ahead of a fellow player or, or ahead of the team? You know, it's not necessarily a, a charge that I'd draw because I'd like to ask him about it um, and, and hear his take on that and you know, his rationale for it. But nonetheless, it's, it's a particularly strange kind of approach to take, particularly after Victoria have mucked around Matthew Wade, uh, sorry, uh, Glenn Maxwell, so patently by leaving him out of the side. And, and it definitely seemed to be a bit of payback for that, given he made it clear he wanted to move states. They blocked that move because it was after the transfer date or whatever it was. But, you know, there seemed to be a sense of kind of slapping him down, saying, you know, don't, don't you step out of line. We'll leave you out of the team if we want. And then, uh, and then being treated the same way by the Australian team if, if he can't answer a question honestly. I, I just think it's absolutely ludicrous that the Australian uh, players couldn't just suck that up. Yeah, there's a bit going on here, isn't there? So just to go through that, that Shield game, there's Cameron White was also pressing for selection. Oh, I'm not sure whether he was in the mainframe, but he was certainly talked up after a very successful start to the Shield season. He was down at number seven as well. So there were three players in the Victorian lower middle order who were all trying to press for some sort of claim. Darren Lehman was asked about um, the Maxwell comments after they were made, and he said he hasn't made 100 for Victoria in a, in a couple of years and, and that's true but he has averaged over 50 as well so he's played a role um, down the list from time to time and, and in challenging conditions he's excelled as well which we talked and about. And he has made 100 for Australia in the last three months you know in, he has. in, in that T20 in Sri Lanka when he made 160 odd. Um, yeah and, and Maxwell's um, in, in that it was, it's quite an interesting interview. Uh, it, it's just conference. a disingenuous comment from Lehman though isn't it? I mean given that given that he has had success recently for Australia then was left out you know was left out of the ODI team in Sri Lanka was left out for the tour of South Africa um, and then he's picked in this squad but is very obviously and deliberately left out of the 11. Yeah they said it wouldn't affect selection and, and it's hard to speculate because James Faulkner also missed out they went uh, for Mitchell Marsh and Travis Head in those two I guess oh, I guess Travis Head isn't an all-rounder per se but he, he is known to have a, have a role from time to time uh, with the ball as well so it, it did he didn't play yesterday it was noticed by Simon Kadic who um, made some equally forceful comments on, on ABC's coverage yesterday, which is featured on back pages around the country today. Um, Kadic's take uh, was, was clearly one he wanted to get out there. He, he was straight to the point when he got on the commentary um, yesterday afternoon, and he, he took on this idea that Maxwell isn't a team player. Um, a, a big part of the discussion around Glenn Maxwell is that he plays for himself, he's selfish, and not a team not a team man, if you like. And Kadic said that in his, in his experience playing with him at Hampshire in 2012, it was anything but the case, and he feels as though... Um, um, 
there is something not quite right here when it, when it comes to Australian cricket and Glenn Maxwell's role in it. And it's just too important for the future of the Australian side that um, whatever rift there seems to be uh, between uh, Maxwell and 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 uh, and, uh, and those in senior leadership positions needs to be resolved quickly. Uh, and the tenor of that um, was was you know quite quite forceful from Kadic and as I said it's ended up on the back page today and it'll be interesting to see whether that has any, any influence on the thinking of, of Lehman and Smith and others coming into the second one day or in, in, uh, what's it, in Canberra in a couple of days time. It, it just reminds me a little bit too much of uh, England's episodes with Kevin Peterson where you know essentially they were saying here's a player who's too difficult to manage despite his talent. The difference being Peterson was towards the end of his career and there wasn't you know there wasn't such a loss to be had by cutting him off for the last couple of years. Maxwell's uh, in the middle of his career, much younger player, has a huge amount to offer. I just can't fathom how you can take a, a player who's so talented and has uh, so much potential and such upside uh, and who's clearly head and shoulders above a huge amount of the domestic talent around and then, you know, kind of put them off, deliberately exclude them from the national setup in, in, in such a way where the reasons just don't check out. And it's especially embarrassing that they brought Matthew Wade in with all of this talk about how he's a tough guy and he's going to puff his chest out and, you know, be a, be a leader on the field and talk a big game and all this kind of stuff. And then he can't cop a bit of criticism from a teammate at a press conference. I just think it's weak. Yeah, I, 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 I also wonder about the... You're stepping back from the actual um, the actual comments themselves, but the idea of being authentic and truthful when talking yeah. to the media uh, as a cricketer. Now, do we want to have uh, a series of Australian contracted cricketers who, who basically talk like politicians? I worked with politicians for many years and a big job of, of being a politician is, is offering a, a non-answer in mm -hmm. order to avoid creating a media story. Do we want that from cricketers? My sense is we probably don't. I think that we want to see an environment where the personalities of players come through and people can warm to them, whether that's uh, um, a personality which is a, a big one like Glenn Maxwell's who's willing to speak his mind a bit more uh, a bit more openly or whether it's someone who is playing with the bat and pad fairly close together I think you know it's reasonable that players have yeah. enough latitude um, to say what they think and, and how they feel rather than feeling like they need to speak off the talking points I think if that's where it where it comes to that has a that has a negative uh, a negative connotation as well I, I think that um, uh, the way this was handled, basically, like you said at the start, Jeff, that Maxwell's answer when he was asked about the batting order should have been to, you know, lie or to to deflect. I'm not sure whether that's the, a, a sustainable strategy going forward either. Yeah, well, I mean, there's only a couple of options if you're asked a direct question. You know, are you unhappy about where you're batting in the order? You can either say no comment and let people read into that, which they will, or you can answer it honestly, or you can uh, sort of try to deflect it with a non-answer, like, oh well, you know, the captain chooses the batting order and I'm just happy to play a role wherever I'm picked, or you can answer answer it honestly. Um, and I think essentially what they're saying, and with this fine, with this action, they're ensuring that we're going to get more and more generic answers and more and more vanilla sort of staid crap from, from Australian players who will not be willing to say anything for fear that they might be next. Um, and I think that's just a, it, it's a travesty really from the Australian leadership and they should have to have a long hard look at themselves. Yeah, so Maxwell did speak uh, as well about his, um, his uh, opportunity to play test cricket a game, which he's desperate to do, and that, that may or may not come in India. And he made the point that he won't get to play another Shield game uh, between now and then. So he's really relying on white ball form and what he does in the in the in the big bash when it comes up. Uh, but it's a, it's especially kind of um, galling if you're you're in this one day squad. So you and can't you can't play for your state because yeah. you're carrying drinks for the uh, for the national side and being called on to sub field. So they're happy to have him come on and do a bit of fielding, you know, because he can take a good catch. Yeah, but, as our, as our producer Brittany Carter pointed out, who's coming on for the the, the second segment on, on our show today, uh, he he took that catch at mid wicket before um, jogging off because uh, that was the end of his stint. So he took the catch 
and then carry the drinks off after a wicket. Yep. So he's done his job. Then off he goes. Uh, yeah. Put your feet up, Glenn. Uh, but he but he knows that he's going to have to make runs with the white ball in order to get on that on that Indian tour. He's conceded defeat on whether he'll play Test cricket uh, this Australian summer. He said that he, he he doesn't see an opportunity now with the the new world order having came through in Adelaide. So at least he's realistic about that. Um, this guy has said very clearly that he wants to play Test cricket. He wants to play it in Australia as well. He doesn't want to be deemed a subcontinental specialist, so to speak. But uh, it looks like his next opportunity to play for Australia with the Red Bull is going to be India. Uh, and and uh, it'll be interesting to see how this latest episode relates to that. The story in the Telegraph on Sunday, um, you know, it seemed fairly well sourced, said that he's at a risk of um, destroying relationships with Australian cricket, which could have a significant influence on his career going mm. forward. And, and, that, and as you said, Jeff, that would be a travesty. Yeah, I mean, you do get the feeling, particularly with... With Darren Lehman, that there's a lot of disapproval there. You know, I'm just reading between the lines there. It's nothing really explicit that's been said, but, you know, just, just the, the body language, the tone of voice when, when he's asked about Glenn Maxwell. You know, there, there seems to be a bit of a, um, a schoolmasterly kind of uh, looking down the nose at that stage. So I'm not sure about uh, what Glenn Maxwell's career prospects are like with, with Lehman in charge, um, unless he can you know, just really have one of those breakout seasons and, and make it impossible not to be picked. Well, let's hope so, because he's one of the most exciting players to come through uh, in the last decade or so through Australian cricket. And uh, on the final word, we're huge supporters, obviously, of Glenn Maxwell <laughs> and never shied away from that. So uh, so we, we do note that, uh, albeit at the back of this segment. But uh, I think we can all agree that seeing Glenn Maxwell in full flight is one of the most exciting things in cricket, and hopefully he'll be back to his best soon. This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. ABC Grandstand. Back on the final word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. We have Brittany Carter joining us here, our uh, wonderful producer, who's also part of the women's coverage team for ABC. Hello, Brittany. Hello. Great to be here. Thanks for having uh, me on. Uh, wonderful to have you with us as well. So uh, we, we have the WBBL starting this week and we're huge supporters of that on the final word uh, and really looking forward to iteration number two. It, it's a competition which had enormous success uh, last year. There was television coverage on commercial networks that um, had 230,000 people average per game. Uh, it peaked at 700,000 viewers, exceeded all expectations on that measure and some really fantastic cricket as well. Um, this time around, uh, the draw remains elegant as it did last year. So everyone plays everyone twice but they're giving themselves um, 50 days to play it rather than six weeks. It was all crunched in last year and it was a bit scrappy at times, Brittany, but this time around we, we have an opportunity to see some cricket played uh, at further corners of Australia, I guess. Yeah, and something I remember that Lisa Stalaker sort of said about her involvement in the tournament was that because there were so many fixtures packed in, that they didn't have time to recover properly. And I think, you know, better resting periods can only lead to better sport that we're seeing played. Um, and it also means hopefully that we can get to more games as fans because, you know, there were so many fixtures packed in. If someone's playing, you know, one day and then the other behind, you're probably not going to be able to make both. If they've got a few days in between, you're more likely to rock up to them. Yeah, and to the, to the great credit of, uh, of Cricket Australia, they are going to stream all the games this, this summer, uh, which wasn't the case last year. And the, the 10 Network are, are putting 12 games on their main station, uh, which is an advance on last year as well, Jeff. So really, uh, in terms of broadcast, it can't get much better than this, can it? Yeah, I mean, to have the ease of just being able to connect to it online is something that, that obviously we'll be making use of when there are games on the other side of the country that uh, that we can't get to because they're running concurrently with test matches and, and that sort of thing. So looking forward to being able to to kind of follow it uh, more closely and see more live cricket. But, um, you know, I mean, they've they, I think they've worked out the schedule a bit better. There are still some pretty packed periods, but we don't have those sort of... Um, 
uh, kind of strange bits like last year where, you know, Perth would be playing twice in a day and yeah. then playing again the next afternoon and they'd all be absolutely beaten because they'd, you know, been out in 40-degree heat at the Wacker playing three games in 24 hours. Yeah, that literally happened through the Boxing Day period where they played, I think it was four times in four days, uh, four times in three days, sorry, including a double header, and it was 40 degrees each day and it was pretty rough on any cricketers being asked to back up like that. So that's quite encouraging. Um, Anthony Everhard uh, said to the ABC when we spoke to him, uh, before the season, that they didn't expect those kind of massive numbers we referred to before on TV. They they focused more on building a product that's sustainable into the future and increases participation. The numbers from CA uh, in the middle of the year said that 300,000 women and girls are now playing cricket around the country. So that that's kind of where their measure is at. But in order to um, have a greater participation at the elite level or women's elite level, it's going to require over time a greater professionalism and pay is part of that and and Jeff I know you've been a a great advocate for better conditions and pay for for women cricketers for many years and and we've certainly seen that with the WBBL this year with an increase in the minimum wage and and also where they're able to pay players from overseas. Yeah I mean obviously it's not huge money at at this stage but at least it's at least it's going up I mean that's that's a positive sign so they're up to you know 7,000 for the base pay as opposed to 3,000 last year uh, the max is fifteen thousand, so some of those overseas players would be getting that. And you know, I mean, it, it's not it's not riches, but at least it's a bit of an incentive for a player to come over for a couple of months, and and I suppose they get their accommodation and so on taken care of as well. So, you know, there's a little bit of an earner there if players can play in this league, if they can play uh, also in the the KSL, the, the Women's Super League in England as well, you know, then you get a couple of earning periods where they can start to make a bit more of a return from the time they've spent developing their skills. Yeah, it is. there's like a semi-professional circuit now, how I'm referring to it. So in England, there's the KSL, so it's a six-team T20 domestic competition, which I covered over the uh, the English summer over there, and that was a quite a successful first iteration of that too. So um, Elise Perry, Beth Mooney... Alex Blackwell, Alex Blackwell um, Renee Farrell. Renee Farrell. So yep. we, we had a series of Australian players who are in that and, and a bunch of players who are, are coming back here after having played in England. So you know, Dotton, Matthew, Satterwhite, Devine, Vanderkirk. There's a whole slew of players who are now on this circuit, so yeah. to speak. And it really does mean that you can play, especially if you're nationally contracted, yeah. you can now play around the year as a, as a cricketer and be almost professional. Well, also that those names are getting to be known a bit more. So, you know, not many people would have been familiar with the South African players a couple of years ago. But now, you know, we know Dano Vanekirk, we know Suno Lewis, we know uh, Minion Dupree. These sort of players have come over and played in the WBBL and, and, and put themselves in a bit more prominence. You know, Sarah McGlashan as well, some of the New Zealand players, uh, Morna Nielsen and so on, who... Who performed so well at this stage that that you know their their reputation is starting to extend into other countries? And Brittany, a, a wonderful development this year are the pair of Indian players who who are coming out here, Harman Preet Kerr and Smitri Mandana, who we saw play magnificently for India when they beat Australia in that in that T Twenty series here last year. But um, that that's that's a that's a huge step forward, isn't it? It is, and also having that stream online, you know, all the Indians can tap in and watch that too. So it builds the WBL up in other you know, countries as well, and people will be watching it from all over the world. Now, we have had some international cricket to start the summer. The Southern Stars uh, won their series 4-0 with one match tied against South Africa, which mm-hmm. was a, a fairly compelling result, Jeff. And I guess the main talking points out of that were, um, lo and behold, Elise Perry's magnificent at cricket and Meg Lanning's pretty good as well. <laughs> and it is frustrating kind of how much we end up talking about those two players. But, but then they go and do things that mean that you absolutely can't deserved, not talk about them. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the... the 
they just make it impossible for us to, to try to <laughs> open up the circle a bit. Because Elise Perry played four matches, made four half centuries. Um, so she's made five on the trot now. Um, absolutely kind of ridiculous numbers. Two of them were 90 not outs. She must be so annoyed. She's, had, she's been not out three times in the 90s in her career. Never made in a Manitana. She must yeah. be livid. Yeah, she's been I, out for, out for 91. I don't know if she is. <laughs> okay, well, I mean. Because, because down at Monica, she was on 95 and there was an over left or so. And um, she wasn't, you know, in a hurry to rotate the strike. She was right. pretty keen to play it safe. Yeah, just happy to, you know, just happy to play Altruistic. the team game. And, yeah. you know, I just, you know, as long as the girls get the win. And, and Harris was <laughs> trying to run those extras in dangerous ways too. And Perry was saying, no, wait, you know. <laughs> I love Grace Harris for that reason. Yeah. She's exactly the sort of player who would do that. She'd be like, bugger it, we're going for two. <laughs> <laughs> and we, um, we obviously had, and oh, well, Meg Lanning, uh, yeah. yet another international century as well. Well, I'm, I mean, yeah, the way that she's stacking them up. So, you know, a, a couple of numbers to go through here, which, which are absolutely ridiculous. Um, Elise Perry, you know, First six years of her career was mostly batting at eight, nine, or ten. Uh, averaged twenty-one and made one fifty in thirty-six innings. Twenty-four innings since seventeen half centuries, <laughs> and is averaging ninety-two and a half. Imagine, imagine batting twenty-three times and only six times not getting to a half century. It's meant to be. I mean, that's not the way this game. This, this is yeah. meant to be an awful game more than it's a good game as a batsman. That's right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you sort of, you know, if you, you might make fifty. The best players would cross fifty one time in three in a career, you know, and, and that would be considered elite. So to be doing it sort of 70, 80% of the time across those last few years. Um, you know, well, and the same goes for Lanning in terms of her, her frequency of making it to 100. That's her ninth 100 in, in limited overs international cricket in, yes. in about 50-odd hits. 54 innings. Uh, Charlotte Edwards made the same number of hundreds in 184 innings. Um, and Lanning, I think the, the key thing for Lanning, more than the average, which is 50-plus, as you'd expect, she does it at a strike rate of 96, like mm. a career strike rate of 96. So even accounting for some of the slow innings where she might have to grind out 60 from 90 to, to win a low-scoring game, her average strike rate is still nearly a runner ball. Now, Australia's first-choice leg spinner, Kristen Beams, injured her finger in Canberra, which meant that for the Coffs Harbour fixtures, the last two, they brought in one of our favourites, Jeff, Amanda Wellington from South Australia, who we were so impressed with during the Women's Big Bash League last year, and, and she pulled off something special with her first delivery. Yeah, Amanda Jade Wellington, and I like that she's bringing the hyphen into the first names as well. You know, we've had some last name hyphens with Coulton Isle and so on, but you're really shaking it up, you know, taking it to the establishment when you whack them in the first half of the name too. Uh, you wick it with the first ball, and uh, I think we, we spoke about her a little bit. Uh, last week as well, maybe, but she's yeah, such an exciting player and, and glad to see her getting the recognition as an Australian selection. Brittany, I think you were down there, weren't you? Mignon Dupree yeah. with, with, her, with her first ball international cricket, a pretty handy first wicket. Yeah, and she actually dismissed Dupree in the fifth game as well, so mm. she's already building rivalry in the team. Yeah, she's, I spoke to her uh, last week and, and asked her about that first ball, and she said she was shaking at the top of her mark. It's quite a, it's, quite, it's a very, um, it's a very relatable experience. First ball in international cricket, and she was talking to her friend before the game, who relayed to her that the last time a spinner took a, a wicket with the first ball in international cricket was, was of course Nathan Lyon, and she said she'd give it her best shot, and she pulled it off at age nineteen. It's a wonderful story, Amanda Wellington, and we're going to see her uh, with the strikers uh, through the summer as well, and I'm sure in Australian colours at the World Cup next year. Yeah, the other interesting one for me out of that series was Sunay Luce, the young South African leg spinner. Well, she's mostly been a leg spinner before this, um, and then this series they popped her up to open the batting and suddenly she was making half centuries at the top of the order um, and, and was taking wickets as well. You know, a little expensive, but was, but was also taking regular wickets throughout the series. Yeah, and she's timed to run poorly, Brittany, because she hasn't got a WBBL contract. No, and I think she's made the claim for that now. I mean, to talk outside the series against the Southern Stars on the 5th of August, 
She became the second player to score a half century as well as take five wickets in a women's one-day match. So she's 20 years old and I think she's made the case that she deserves a spot in our competition here. What has had an influence on WBBL selections has been the WNCL, so the 50-over um, competition, which wrapped up this weekend. Uh, Brittany, the record of the New South Wales Breakers is just ridiculous. They've played in this competition 21 times since 1996-97. They've now won it 18 times, 18 of 21. They've made every single final. Um, and, and on this occasion, it was an emphatic victory. Bowling at Queensland for 119 with your teammate, uh, Renee Farrell, taking three for 20. <laughs> Uh, and then going on to, to pass the score comfortably in 24 overs, losing just one wicket along the way. Yeah, I think the difference in, with the New South Wales side is there's that core group of players that either have plenty of state or international experience. So, you know, you've got Alex Blackwell, Renee Farrell, Alyssa Healy, Sarah Alley, who's played in 10 of New mm. South Wales titles, wins now. Gee. So when you think about the players that are in that side and the experience that they have, it's sort of reflective of how dominant they've been in the competition. And also having Alex Blackwell as captain, she's been playing for New South Wales and Australia now for such a long time, level-headed, mature, places high importance in guiding the younger players, and I think it really helps make a solid addition to the team. Yeah, I mean, they, they win titles like Elise Perry makes half centuries. <laughs> ridiculous kind of a success ratio. But, I mean, everyone else must just hate their guts. They're, they're, like, they're like the Mighty Ducks version of the Hawks. Oh, yeah. You know, they just come in and win every title for 30 years and just stomp all over everybody. But, and they got their comeuppance last year, but now they're bloody back. I wonder who Emilio Estevez is in that, in that, uh, in that example. Uh, um, Beth Mooney was out first Matthew ball. Mott. It's Matthew Mott, <laughs> yeah. Emilio Estevez of Australian cricket. I've got a bit of a rant to go on about the Mighty Ducks, but I might save it for another edition of the, of, of the final. Ah, oh, the Mighty Ducks. Uh, uh, the Mighty Ducks. There you go. There you go. Yeah. It's, it's, I've it's done, it was accidental, but it, accidentally on purpose. Australian maybe. accents do some wonderful things to words. Do indeed. So Beth Mooney out first ball, one of our faves there, Jeff. That was unfortunate. Um, one of Farrell's victims. It was a great run out. Haynes. Uh, ran out Kirby Short with a brilliant piece of fielding at Backward Point. Make sure you have a look at that on YouTube if you get the opportunity. Um, Grace Harris was out for nothing as well. So two of their big names, Queensland, didn't fire, and that really meant that they were in all sorts of trouble. Uh, and in reply, Alyssa Healy, 56 not out. She's had a wonderful WNCL. She's really hit some form in 2016. And that means that New South Wales got over the line. And and a lot of those players that played for New South Wales in the breakers side uh, make up the Thunder and the Sixers. And maybe they'll be the first two uh, sides we take a look at here in greater depth from the eight WBBL sides. The Thunder in particular, let's start with them. They were the winners last year of the competition. And, and worth noting, the Thunder and the Sixers played the WBBL final last year. They, they so did. even in the 20 over stuff, you can't get rid of them. <laughs> Bloody New South Wales breakers just running the show. Well, you look at the, the, the team list and you can understand why, especially the Thunder. I mean, they've got Stefani Taylor, who is just about the most effective T20 player in the world, along probably more so than Lanning. Uh, Lanning's got the 50-over game uh, around a little finger, but Stefani Taylor, the West Indian international, he's got an incredible record at T20 level. And got the bowling as well. That's I mean, right. And that's the key. I mean, she's not a super dangerous bowler, but she's just Takes effective. so many wickets. She, was, yeah. she, she, she took the more wickets than anyone else in, yeah. the, uh, in the KSL in England this year. She topped the runs and the wickets in, yeah, in that tournament. Yeah, that's exactly the thing. She doesn't look deadly, but she's just effective. She's accurate enough. She nags enough, just sends down a bit of spin and, and players fall for it. Their other overseas player is Harman Preet Kaur, who is an absolutely delightful cricketer. She made runs on Australia Day against Australia this year. I think she was the player of the match in that fixture. Yeah, uh, I know, Jeff, you were particularly, uh, a particularly big rap for her. Well, I just loved the way that she accelerated the innings. And, and we've, we've seen a sort of pattern with India's women's team where, uh, the, particularly chasing, they really weren't able to put good scores together. They were, they, they were a good bowling side, and then they'd often sort of crumble with the batting. You know, And I think their biggest chase to, to that date had been somewhere around 120, and then they 
chased this Australian score of a hundred and fifty plus, and and she did it with ease. You know, um, just just sort of kept putting them over the top, just kept finding gaps in the field, and and looked so polished and composed, and and ran that run chase expertly. Uh, Brittany, we've got five Southern Stars players with the Thunder: Alex Blackwell, Lauren Cheadle, Renee Farrell, Erin Osborne, and Naomi Stallenberg. So, in the case of Cheadle and Stallenberg, they pressed their claims last year through the WBBL and got themselves to booze for Australia. But that makes for a, a very experienced middle order, especially, doesn't it? It'll be interesting to see how Lauren Cheadle comes back into this side too because she's had a break from the Southern Stars with a HSC and then she was sick for the Governor-General. So she hasn't actually played for a little while and it'll be interesting to see what happens with her. Interesting point though, to bring the WNCL back into this, Alex Buckle and Erin Osborne both tied second on 14 votes for Player of the Series. So they're both mm. in this side, boosts up the order. And Maisie Gibson is doing really well, that youngster too. So she took two in the WNCM final with the ball. So they're a very strong side. And I think it's a bit um, cliche, but I, might, I think they're going to go back to back. Yeah, I think they will as well. And it's a good point you raised with Maisie Gibson, the spinner, uh, Nicola Carey, who was such an effective medium pacer last year, and Belinda Vakarewa, I always pronounce her name wrong. Uh, the, at one stage we thought she was 15, then we thought she was 17, then we thought she was 19. I think she's 18, but <laughs> nevertheless, she's a young, very young, effective, quick. and uh, I She's think, got a time machine, for sure. Yeah, so they've got, they've got already seven international players in their squad of 15 and two who sit probably just outside Australian mm-hmm. calculations in that shooting star squad at the moment. So, And they've lost nobody from last year. So, Jeff, I think... They are the logical favourites going into the tournament. The Sydney Sixers, though, uh, again, we, we, we talk about that strength of New South Wales cricket. They've added to uh, their, their side that made the final last year, Dana Vanderkirk, who's the skipper of South Africa, joining her teammate, Marizanne Cap, who's also a South African mainstay and, and Sarah McGlash and I understand is likely to be brought uh, into the side as well. I don't think that's been announced yet, but I think she's a, a decent chance of ending up back at the Sixers as well. And she is another one of those players on the circuit who had such a wonderful tournament last year, especially propelling the Sixers into the final four. Oh, I mean that, that innings that she played, I mean, there was a point where they needed to win eight in a row to, to make the finals. And then they went on and did it. And she won half of them for them. Too. Yeah. Like, she was magnificent. But particularly that last game, they had to beat the Hurricanes mm. who they would then, you know, play again in the semifinal. Um, and they, managed to get past them just you know in the in the last over I think it was nine wickets down was it certainly yeah. eight um, probably nine and she made 70 odd not out just kept playing these paddle sweeps over short fine leg and finding these gaps in the field and carried a completely ridiculous chase you got of course Alyssa Healy and Elise Perry, who we've talked about at length already, but uh, they, they will, will sit at the top of the batting lineup, and then some experience with Ashley Gardner, um, Sarah Ali. Uh, it's a pretty strong side. Angela Reeks, who had a pretty good WBBL last year as well. And again, you know, made the point before, they've lost nobody. So the two New South Wales sides are, are in pretty good nick. And I that says th- something in itself, doesn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, I think it does. I think you're right. Yeah, the fact that, that they've been able to build that culture, especially with the Thunder, they're so big on that. Um, it's one club, two teams mantra. And you saw that after they won the, the women's and the men's last year on the MCG. There was almost no distinction made between the two sides. That, 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 so I can see why, if you're, if you're a player you know, vying between where to go, why the Thunder would be a very attractive destination. Do you think, Brittany, that, um, that those are the destination clubs for WBBL players, where they'd most like to end up? I think it depends. There's a lot of factors, obviously, in play. But I actually um, think that if the Thunder don't take it out this year, that it's going to be the Strikers or the Hurricanes. So yeah, well, it, it we're going to talk be... about the Strikers next yeah. on this exact reason because they're, they're the destination club this this year, weirdly. I don't, I don't really know how this, this happened exactly, but somehow they've ended up nabbing uh, Charlotte Edwards, the, the greatest single player of all time. Well, and she Tam- loves an iced coffee, and, you know, and that's what you go to Adelaide for. <laughs> yeah, that, like a Farmers Union iced coffee in Adelaide, of that's course. That's one of the and, factors, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah. and Tammy Beaumont, who's the informing England player at the moment, having um, scored a record amount of runs uh, this summer, finally given an opportunity to, to flourish at the top of the list in this Mark Robinson England regime and took that opportunity and, and made a couple of centuries and, and, and really was. Um, and she, she went from a, she made her first international 50, then her first international 100, then her first international 150 in consecutive games. So you can get a sense of her development there, Beaumont. So she's a massive addition to that side. They've lost Sarah Taylor, who is having an extended period out of the game at the moment. Um, treatment for anxiety uh, back in England, so that's that's mm. a, that's one huge omission. But I, I think you're right there, Brittany. I think the strikers uh, have uh, plenty of Southern stars depth as well. Plus, they've got Talia McGrath and Amanda Wellington, who we were just talking up before, and they're doing so well in the game and only going to improve having Charlotte Edwards on board. I know that she was um, giving some batting mentoring to some of the younger girls when she was at Perth Scorchers. So to have her at Adelaide, it's just going to make everyone better. Yeah, 37 years old is Charlotte Edwards now, but she led the Southern Vipers to victory in the inaugural uh, KSL season. And even though she's been dumped from the England side and the England captaincy, that that was... That wasn't for nothing. That, that was rough on her, and she said as much at the time, and it doesn't dispute the fact that she wanted to keep on playing for England, but um, it still is determined to make a truckload of runs uh, both here and, and in England on the domestic circuit for years to come yet. So I see no reason why she won't be just as formidable uh, this year as she was last year when she finished, I think, second on the runs list. What I'm interested in is, I mean, she's not always the fastest run scorer. Charlotte Edwards tends to be more the, the fastest the, runner, the sort of uh, core of the, the, of the innings who, who stays in for a while. Um, and they've also got Sarah Elliott, who's not a particularly quick scorer, she, she made a test century for Australia at, at Wormsley a few years ago that was um, very, very, very determined and slow, you know, a lot of patience, but not really known as a T20 dasher. So she's come across from the Renegades. I'm interested in how those two work. Will they play in the same top order? And, and you know, are, are they going to be able to, to tick over the scoring fast enough? Yeah, and I think that where they will uh, certainly have um, plenty of dynamism is with their fast bowling, especially um, Sarah Coit has had some troubles through the off-season, but she's been playing domestic cricket, and, and Megan Shute, who is, uh, who's one of the world's best seen bowlers. Yeah, I mean, and, and tough for Sarah Coit. You know, she's been quite open about uh, the, the issues she had with eating disorders and so on, and, you know, relevant to a lot of young women out there. I think it's important that, that she was able to talk about it, but, but also really questioned whether she wanted to play cricket or whether she was just doing it because she was good at it. Um, so I suppose that's, you know, that's the question for her this season. I mean, does she really want to be there or, or does she feel pressured to be there? And um, and how happy will she be to actually be playing cricket? And jumping it, on the back of that, someone that's come in after having the same sort of experience is Jess Cameron, who's making her way back to the Melbourne Stars. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, Jess Cameron, who flirted with the idea of becoming a full-time football player and leaving cricket altogether, not having played in the initial WBBL and, and put pause on her Australian career and now, and she's back and that, that'll be interesting as well. Yeah, and can I just say how bloody excited I am about that? Jess Cameron is, you know, I mean, behind the sort of Lanning Perry duopoly, she's, for me, she's still the most talented Australian cricketer um, behind those two. She's an absolutely phenomenal striker of the ball. One of those um, players in women's cricket who can belt the really long six right back into the seats. Um, terrific, terrific international record, incredible strike rate. Um, in in one day cricket, and she's just so damaging. I, you know, I was really disappointed when when she did pull back from the game last year, and, and was worried that they might lose her to the game. Um, and hopefully, it's partly to do with that increased professionalisation, the better pay, the better support for the teams and so on that, that she's felt able to come in and continue her career. Let's move on to the Melbourne Stars in that case and go slightly out of order because we've already got there with uh, talk about Jess Cameron. So she joins, of course, Meg Lanning, who's the skipper and uh, and unquestionably the best player in the world, contrary to what she said to me the other week. Meg Lanning is uh, is, is still uh, still the best going around. So that's always going to make them formidable. Uh, Morna Nielsen and, and Nat Siver. 
uh, are two bowlers they have as, as foreign stock. And Danny Hazel is actually in the side um, as a replacement player for Kristen Beam. So <clears throat> it's Danny, uh, Danny Hazel, who's a, a vastly experienced England spinner. Indeed, she captained England uh, a couple of weeks ago in Sri Lanka when they had a, a glut of injuries. Um, so she'll be out here for at least the first portion of the season while uh, Kristen Beams continues to receive attention for or treatment for that finger injury she received in Canberra for the Southern Stars. And Mignon Dupree's missing though. She's she's left um, left the Melbourne Stars and she isn't playing WBBL. That's a fairly big omission, Jeff. Yeah, I mean that, that that is big for them. And they really struggled last year because they were it was basically Lanning or bust. Yeah. Um, Lanning and Kristen Beams. So she's the other huge out um, with that injury. So she took a lot of wickets early in the season, especially it was very hard to get away with the scoring. And then if Lanning didn't make runs, they failed. So. They haven't really refreshed the list that much. Um, I think the in of Cameron is obviously the massive one there in terms of boosting that batting. Um, but I'm still I'm still not sure about whether they can really come up and challenge. They would need Nat Siver to have a big season, which she mm. didn't have last year. But then they're sort of back to those younger players who, who didn't really come through for them last year. Um, most of the games, you know, Katie Mack, Gemma Triscari, players like that, who, who showed what they could do once or twice, but um, weren't necessarily consistent. Yeah, it also gives Alana King an opportunity with the ball too. Uh, but the one, I, if I was doing a fantasy team uh, for this competition this year, the one I'd give my um, my bonus points to, if you like, if I was doubling up, it'd be Nat Siver. Having watched Nat develop um, over the summer in England, she's been given the license to hit the long ball. She's got big, strong arms and can hit the ball as far as anyone in the women's game. But I think last year we saw her trying to play a different sort of role for the Stars and didn't get it off the square. She mm-hmm. was trying to play any, you know, a more mature, accumulate through the middle overs, etc. I think now her game is different. She routinely is making 50, 50 or 60 runs in, in half as many balls, and I think that's the sort of role they want her playing here. And her bowling's picked up as well. She's picked the yard up. She, she'll, she'll almost certainly take the new ball, I think, for the Melbourne Stars this season. All right, next up with uh, Nat Sivers' England teammate is Heather Knight leading the Hobart Hurricanes, who had a wonderful season last year, Brittany making the final four. No one really expected it. They don't look like on paper they're going to be the sort of side who can who can really compete for the title, but uh, they've got something special about them, don't they? Yeah, and Amy Satterthwaite, they've got her back this year, who's been in exceptional form for New Zealand against Pakistan in their one-day international series. So she's made her new career best with 137, 115, 123, and 16 boundaries in that new career best too. So she's gearing up for the WBL and ready for it. Um, you've also got Veronica Pike, who took... Uh, second most amount of wickets last year and you know Hayley Matthews who had a big World Cup and she's apparently built on that confidence since then too. Yeah Southwaite and Matthews were playing at Lanks over the over the summer and, and Hayley Matthews we saw and you saw Jeff in the World Cup World T20 final rather um, just how damaging she can be and, and I'm sure that left some plenty of scars with some Australian bowlers. Oh, it certainly left an impression on me you know one of the best innings I've ever seen in the women's game that uh, that World T20 final she just uh, absolutely creamed everybody and you know at, at sort of 17 18 years of age it, it's a ridiculous level of composure to have and you know she she was very calm after the game as well you know didn't seem to be carried away with it either um i mean such an underrated kind of bowling attack veronica pike and julie hunter were both so good mm. last year you know both kind of veterans not not superstar kind of uh, impressive sounding players but they just delivered time and time again and you know I, I particularly like there's there's a great British acting tradition in the Hurricanes Emma Thompson suiting up for them and of course Georgia Redmayne the sister of Eddie who did such a great turn in Les Miserables um, so, she's, so there's a bit she's of class. actually a really good signing Georgia Redmayne because she um, was the Sydney Grey Cricket Player of the Year last year but just didn't make it into the New South Wales side because of Alyssa Healy so for her to move to Tasmania and play for them big win for them so she'll have the gloves this year? 
Uh, I don't know yet. I think so. I, because Emily Smith moved over to another team as well. Um, That's and right. she was the Hurricanes wicket keeper last year. but Yeah, she, did, she didn't get much of a go, M. Smith, last year. She kept, but she didn't get a bat. So if uh, if Redmayne uh, has the skills with the with the willow, I expect that'll, that'll, that'll mean she'll automatically take that role as keeper. And, uh, and also Corinne Hall in that mix, who's, you know, to oh, use a terrible word. Who can forget that catch? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mercurial in the field, you know, <laughs> just has pulled off some ridiculous acts uh, out there patrolling the infield. And we've left Heather Knight out of this discussion, who uh, who came runner-up in the player of the WBBL last year with Bat. She's the England captain now and, 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 a, and a wonderful leader in her own right. She captains this Hurricane side and did a great job with the ball too, regularly bowled the death overs, uh, notwithstanding the game where she got clobbered at the end by McGlashan to... Um, to get them into the into the final four, usually she was very reliable at the end and made a truckload of runs as well. Uh, so Heather Knight will obviously be um, uh, the most important player in this Hurricane side. They have no Southern Stars players though, Brittany, which is which is um, you know again it, it, it seems a bit odd that looking at the the Thunder with eight or nine internationals across the board and maybe a couple more in the wings that this Hurricane side is relying on something different altogether. Could be also where they're based too. Like um, yeah, I just. I just think that they've got a really solid team this year and you make the point that we hadn't even mentioned Heather Knight yet, yet she's the English captain because we've been listing all these other names. So I think it just shows how many stars there are to watch in that side. Susie Bates is the captain of the Perth Scorchers and the captain of the New Zealand side. She's back again. She only played half the season last year because she was very committed to playing for her domestic New Zealand T20 side, but um, she's a, a, an immense cricketer. Again, played in the played in the Southern Vipers Victoria side in the KSL. Catherine Brunt, the fast bowler, attack leader from England. Rebecca Grundy is going to be um, playing in the first couple of games, uh, well, the first four games as a replacement for Anya Shrubsole, who's also come over. So Anya Shrubsole didn't play last year because she was finishing her um, finishing her thesis at university, but she's uh, the England opening bowler with Catherine Brunt. So they'll 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 be uh, new ball bowlers for England and new ball bowlers for Perth. So that'll that'll be um, by some margin the most powerful bowling lineup in the comp. Yeah, I mean that that might be the thing that boosts them up a little bit from last year. I mean Nikki Shaw's retired, who who I thought actually played really well last year and uh, and, and took a magnificent catch at uh, in the in the gully at one stage, some sort of screamer that she dived away and. and held to her right. But um, yeah, she, she did a job for them last year. She's out, but replacing her with Shrubsole, who's such a good swing bowler yep. and uh, reverse swing bowler, if it comes to that, that, you know, she's she's really able to do a lot of damage. So her with Brunt at the top will be difficult and excited about Rebecca Grundy because we can nickname her Reg. Yeah, <laughs> Reg with her left arm orthodox. Um, she We, of course, saw her in the Ashes in England a couple of years ago. Pretty good cricketer indeed. Uh, and, and and Brittany, we have the, the Southern Stars openers, uh, uh, Bolton and Villani, mm. uh, who uh, who also opened the batting for the for the Scorchers as well. And, and they've both had a pretty good WNCL. Yeah, uh, Elise Villani didn't do so well in the Southern Stars um, series. Nicole Bolton really found her stride, though, so I'll be interested to see whether Villani actually opens for the Scorchers. I don't know if they have that many other opening options. Um, Matilda Carmichael is actually a hockey roo, and she's been um, brought into the side. I'll be interested to see what happens with her. And someone else that's retired from the Perth Scorchers is Jenny Wallace, who was their uh, mm. keeper. So that's she's made way for um, Emily Smith, who we were just talking about, is coming from Hobart. And uh, I think it'll be... Um, a good move for Smith. She um, was in the top five wicket keepers last year in the first edition of the WBBL. And she, um, the, she I think she took 15 dismissals or something, which was more than both of the Perth Scorchers uh, wicket keepers last year made 
it together. And they've, and they've lost Charlotte Edwards, which is a massive, uh, massive, and DeAndre Dotton as well. So DeAndre Dotton has gone to the, uh, to the, the Brisbane Heat, but... Heat. Now we might go to them next. So the Heat um, have uh, they, they were under they underperformed last year. They'll probably after a really great start, they were the top of the ladder after a couple of weekends. They fell away terribly, uh, and, and ended up finishing right towards the bottom of the of the ladder. But DeAndre Dotton is a big inclusion, of course, the the quickest century ever in in uh, in T uh, Twenty international cricket. I think it was on Dubu oh. as well, and uh, and um, Smitri Mandana we mentioned before. Uh, the Indian opening batsmen, they make up the most important part of the Brisbane lineup. They'll both bat at the top of the order, Jeff. Yeah, I, I think Beth Mooney might be the one to open with Mandana and, and maybe Dotton would come in three or four and, and sort of be the power player a little bit later in the innings. Mooney had such a good series uh, opening in the WBBL last year, made a lot of 50s, you know, when they were winning and when they were losing, was very consistent there. So uh, Dotton will maybe be more the game changer in the middle, but she's also very handy with the ball these days. Um, and they've got their sort of international representatives in Holly Furling, Jess Jonathan as well, who, you know, again, didn't necessarily have the best season last year, but, uh, you know, her, her best level of play is much higher than she produced there. Yeah, Brittany, so Holly Furling uh, has been in, in and out of the, the 11 for the Southern Stars, but, uh, but still uh, someone who you can build an attack around. She still has that pace and, and, and certainly that wicket-taking capacity. Yeah, and she's been promoted to open up for the Southern Stars and was doing for the first three games, at least I know. So she's worked on that and has come back stronger as a result. And I think also you talk about um, Jonathan, sorry, not having such a good um, women's big bash last year, but she's been really good for the Southern Stars. So could be just, you know, she's back in form now and she's ready to go for this series. And last but not least, uh, down to Melbourne, the Renegades, who, again, they struggled last year, took a while to get off the mark, but they've, they've recruited well. Uh, Leah Tahuhu, who's a, a fast bowler from New Zealand, and Grace Harris, the dominant Australian uh, number three at times, number six at other times, number eight at, from time to time, Jeff. She's all over the batting order, but she made the only century of the WBBL last year. It was a dominant century on the opening weekend, I think it was, and uh, that's a big signing for the Renegades. Yeah, powerful hitter. You know, smacked a few sixes in that uh, Ashes series, the T20s, towards the end of that last year as well um, so she can definitely change a game in a matter of overs you know but it's slightly inconsistent you know can come in and just have a big yahoo at something and, and be out for naught pretty early as well but those kind of players are, are often like that Danny Wyatt coming back from England I think the key with the Renegades last year was they just didn't have any batting power through the middle they had a few sort of placement and stroke players like Rachel Priest and uh, and Wyatt, but they, they just didn't have a real kind of engine through the middle. So and they bowled be... pretty well, didn't they? Like they had Molly Strano who had the spin to win sort of motto for them in the top Absolutely. five wicket takers of the season. So And, yeah. and Sophie Molyneux who was also given higher honours afterwards as well. You're right, they had good nine, bowling. Nine spinners in one game they played. Yeah, the, the <laughs> including Dane Vanderkirk, who's she's probably was the one player who did have the ability to uh, lift the tempo of an innings who, who's of course moved over to the sixes. That, that's a significant loss for them, but they feel to me like they are a bit light on, uh, notwithstanding the fact that they've got that strong bowling lineup, I think they might struggle. Well, Maitland Brown, an interesting one. She's from Canberra, 18 years old, I think. So she's coming in for her first season. Um, heard an interview with her the other day, and she's just so excited. It was it was it was very charming, really. She's she's completely fired up because she's played her way into that squad, um, and can't wait to get amongst it. So looking forward to seeing what she can do. And, and just a note to those who who, who follow the men's game closely uh, and, and know James Sutherland as a cricketer. His younger daughter or his young daughter Annabelle Sutherland, who I think is 15 years old and playing in the Australian under 16s, is, is also on the Renegades list. And um, I'm told from those who watch her play for club side Paran that she's absolute class and won't take long before she's pushing for state and national selection as well and, and certainly higher honours through the, through the renegade side and the WBBL. So keep an eye out for that.
And I, you know what? I think we've done all eight teams, Jeff and Brittany. I think we've successfully gone through the uh, the entirety of the rosters uh, for the WBBL. It starts this weekend, Brittany, with a, a massive weekend at North Sydney Oval. Six games, four of which are on TV. Yeah, and I think that's a great idea too, having all those games together right at the start and kicking it off with a bang. And at North Sydney too, where it's such a nice ground and, you know, it's got a fair amount of um, capacity. And yeah, I think it, with the weather in Sydney at the moment, we should get a really good turnout. And Jeff, the importance of having those games in prime time, it'll be the first time there's been a women's game on television at night in Australia and not competing against the men, no men's cricket this weekend. Yeah, right. And, and sort of being able to stand alone and do its own thing, a, a bit like the philosophy where then they're going to split off the women's World 220 from the men's one and run them as standalone events from now on. Um, so, you know, can't wait to, to see what happens on that opening weekend. There'll be that festival atmosphere down there. So if, if you're in New South Wales, get there. Please do. Look, it's been a lot of fun taking this to you, as always, the final word. Adam Collins with Jeff Lemon and Brittany Carter. You can find us on Twitter in all the usual places. And we'll be back with you next week to wrap up the opening weekend of the WBBL and also talk about the last couple of one days between Australia and New Zealand with the men and preview the Australia-Pakistan Test Series, which starts next Thursday, or week Thursday, I should say, in Brisbane. Until then, have a good week.